The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 3. And if you want to follow it in the church Bibles, it's on page 1236. So we're starting at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from the gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Penny. Well, that uh, was a letter, if you hadn't picked up on that, uh, from Jesus to one of the churches, one of the early churches in Asia Minor. And it was written through the Apostle John in about AD 95. And I wondered, made me wonder, how many people here still write handwritten letters these days? Oh, do you know, that's way more than I thought. I was expecting quite a few at the nine o'clock service, probably, because of the particular generation we often have there. But uh, actually, I must confess, I don't write letters very often anymore, so my handwriting is absolutely awful now. Um, But emails, texts, WhatsApps, you know, is quite often the the medium of choice. And uh, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, what will biographers of the future use for their source material when most of us stop writing letters? Because, of course, that's the thing that people use very often to provide the information for their biographies. So anyway, be that as it may, we do still have this letter from Jesus written just under 2,000 years ago. And I reckon it comes across as scathingly now as it did to the original readers. Uh, It's got the most enormous ouch factor if you're the one that it's being written to. And if you want to follow it in the Bibles on the pillars there, it was 1, 2, 3, 6, the page number, Revelation 3, verse 14 to 22. Because what Jesus tells the church of St. Comfortable in Laodicea is that they are lukewarm. 
They're lukewarm. And that was a really apt description because there were hot springs that flowed from about 10 miles away from Laodicea. And they flowed over ground down towards the city. And then they tumbled over the cliff uh, opposite the city. The city was on one bank of the river and there were cliffs on the other side. And uh, this uh, hot spring tumbled over it. But of course, by the time it's traveled 10 miles, it wasn't hot anymore. It was only lukewarm. And the uh, well-known Christian writer John Stott writes that Laodicean religion is like a lukewarm waterfall. He writes that it's neither hot nor cold, that we wallow in a comfortable expression of our faith, respectable, not wanting to give offence, and we can slip into a sentimental view of a loving God and carefully overlook the less appealing aspects of his character, like God's wrath, his justice, his righteousness. The uh, cliched phrase, God Almighty, instead of God Almighty. And Jesus says about this form of religion that it literally makes him want to vomit That's the literal translation of the words that we rather nicely had in the Bible as spit you out. It makes him want to vomit. Is that, I ask, what we want for St. Paul's as we move towards our 2020 vision of praying, connecting, growing with lives transformed by Jesus? Do we want to be St. Comfortable of Laodicea? like a lukewarm waterfall? Or do we want to be a church where the spirit is alive and moving and our lampstand is glowing because Jesus is here in the centre of us? I suspect you'd prefer the latter. But the warning is there, right there, because it's so easy to slip into being lukewarm. I should know I do it myself. So what I really want to reassure you from the start is I am not preaching to you, I'm preaching with you because I can uh, relate to so much of what I'm saying. So please don't feel I'm standing here wagging my finger because I'm not. I'm standing here hanging my head in shame on occasion and that's the truth. So that's why we've called this sermon series Hungry to Grow and we've added a question mark for this particular sermon. Are we hungry to grow? Because if we don't grow spiritually, then we won't pray effectively. We won't connect with people inside and outside the church because we'll be too fearful. Or we'll, we just feel like, no, we might upset someone. Done it myself. So to help us grow, we are looking at some of the spiritual disciplines. And as Tom mentioned, we've been inspired by this book by Richard Foster. It's an absolute Christian classic, um, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, I didn't even know I had it. I found it on my bookshelf. I blew the dust off it. I opened it up, found all the pages were brown and unread. I'm uh, ashamed to say, but it is well worth a read. So that's one thing I'm challenging myself as we go through the next few weeks is to keep it dusted off and to read it. And we're going to be exploring not everything in this book, but some of the practices like meditation, fasting, study, 
um, simplicity, worship, and more. And it's going to be a really great feast of ideas for you to have a go at. And what we really hope is that you'll be inspired to go deeper in your spiritual life and to revitalize any areas of it which are, in fact, lukewarm. So before I go on any further, I want to pause and pray, because that will just open our hearts and minds to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your desire is passionately for us. And we pray today that we will open our ears to hear what you're saying to us. That we'll open our eyes to see what you have in store for us, the feast that you lay out ahead in front of us. And we open our hearts and minds and spirits to be changed by you. So help us, Lord, as we take this first step on our journey to Christian growth, to spiritual growth. Amen. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to um, identify some of the reasons why we might be a bit lukewarm, what Jesus has to say about them, and what's in it for us if we invest time and energy into our personal spiritual growth. So here's a few thoughts that might just be swirling around in the ether right here, right now, uh, as, as, I've, uh, as you've listened to me as I've started uh, off the, uh, the sermon this morning. Uh, I came up with them quite easily, these thoughts that I thought you might be thinking because I thought them myself as I was preparing. So here they are. Uh, firstly, I'm not hungry and I don't see why I have to do this. Uh, leave me alone. I'm quite happy as I am. And I've got enough, more than enough on my plate at the moment. That might be the first thought. Second one, I'm not hungry and I don't really know what to do about it because I'd quite like to be, maybe. Thirdly, maybe what's in it for me before I even decide if I'm hungry or not. I need to be convinced. And that was me, by the way. Fourthly, I am hungry, but I don't really know what to do about it. And fifthly, I am hungry and I'm already doing things. We need to acknowledge there's probably lots of you who are already doing things that are deepening and enriching your spiritual life. And um, I'm up for fresh ideas, though. I'm hungry and I just want more. But if that's you, I want to say hooray and talk about it because you can encourage the rest of us with things that you've tried and you've done that have really helped you in your spiritual journey. Let's encourage us one another. Let's tell each other stories as the weeks go on. Come and let Tom and me know uh, about things you've tried and, and how they've done for you. We want to have some testimonies as this sermon series continues. But let's start with if we're not hungry. Why, why is it that we might not be hungry? Well, we might be too busy. We might be too busy with things like our work, inescapable, family, social life, hobbies, the like. We might be too busy with all of those to invest any time into anything extra. And all those things are good and healthy. But it's when they become the sole focus. What if our priorities are on earning enough to have a nice house and nice furniture, a good car, lots of holidays, and we work really hard to make those things happen, long hours? Well, the danger is that those things become like idols to us. They become the be-all and end-all, and they leave no time for anything else. 
Maybe, though, some of us are working all the hours God sends just to make ends meet. That's our sole life is survival. Finding somewhere to sleep. We haven't got a home. We haven't got a family. And that's all that we can really think about. Now, Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 17, to those of us who do feel comfortable... You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. Subtext, I'm not hungry. And that Jesus comes right back with at the second half of verse 17. But you don't realize that you're actually wretched, poor, blind and naked. You're actually feeding on things that are not good for you that you can't take with you when you die and they won't make a jot of difference in the light of eternity. Strong words. And then Jesus says to everyone, whatever our financial position, verse 18, come, buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich. And what he's saying there is investing in our relationship with him will make us spiritually rich in immeasurable ways. And so many of the other things that we think or thought mattered will just pale into insignificance beside it. So that's the first thing we might not be hungry. First reason why we might not be hungry. We're filling ourselves with other things. We need to make the choice to eat healthy food and not uh, not just ignore it. And maybe that would be by trying some of the things on offer in the coming weeks. Secondly, we might not be hungry because we don't know what's on offer. You know, if we can't see food, we're not hungry for it. It's that old, I see donut, I must eat donut scenario, isn't it? If I didn't see a donut, I wouldn't be hungry for one. But there it is, out there, waiting for me, I hope. Anyway, sorry, I digress. We're all dive off for donuts now. (laughs) So anyway, if we don't see the food, we're not hungry for it. So what if you don't even know Jesus at all? What if what I'm talking about is just making no sense to you? Because you actually, whether you know it or not, have a God-shaped hole in your life. Now, it's a life-giving step to decide to live God's way and not yours. It's a life-giving step to say sorry for living in your own self-centered way. And it's a life-giving step to ask Jesus to be part of your life from now on in. And if that's you, then can I just encourage you on your way out to pick up one of these Why Jesus booklets. There's a pile of them out on the table in the welcome area. Years ago, probably about over 30 years ago, before I was a Christian, I picked up the equivalent of one of these. And I honestly had it lying around my house for about two or three years before the right moment came and I was ready and I knew it was time to give my life to Jesus. And then I picked it up and it had a lovely prayer in it and I committed my life over to Jesus and I've not looked back since. So pick one up if you know you've got a God-shaped gap but you're just not sure if it's the right time for you to do something about it and keep it tucked away till it is the right time. Because Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody opens the door, then I will come in and eat with him and he will eat with me or she.
Perhaps you've been a Christian for a while, though. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've actually plateaued in your faith. That's been my pattern of Christian life. I have a little bit where I grow for a while and then I go along on a plateau and then I grow a bit more and go along on a plateau for a bit. And maybe two or three years after becoming a Christian, that happened to me for the first time and I was stumped. I'd been reading my Bible, I'd been praying, I was really going on, I was loving it. And then suddenly I just like ground to a halt. And it took a, a mature Christian friend to just come alongside me and just show me what it is that I, was, uh, that I could do to encourage my spiritual growth to continue. So, in a physical sense, seeing food can make us hungry. And knowing what's on offer can encourage us to eat. So, wherever you are in your Christian journey, I believe this sermon series will do just that. And then thirdly, we may not be hungry because there's sin in our life. Some things like self-centeredness or persistent, willful wrongdoing, addictions, things like that. They can cause us to turn away from healthy spiritual food and binge out on what we might look at as junk food. And to you, Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And then he says in verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. So if you are bound up with things that are tying you up, that you really wish you could stop, well know that Jesus offers you a way out from those sorts of things that bind us up and they keep us from closeness to God. White clothes, that's the image of Jesus' righteousness, which covers our shame when we confess our need for forgiveness. Being set free from persistent, wrongful, bad behaviours and sin will allow you to feel hungry for more healthy spiritual food. But human willpower is not enough to overcome really entrenched sin. It's only the inner transformation that God can bring can really give us what we need by his grace to set us free. In Romans 12, Paul's right, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus says to you, to me, if we are stuck in persistent sin or addiction, here I am. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking on it. If you will only open the door to me, then I will come in and I will eat with you and you will eat with me. There is no need to go on in these harmful behaviours anymore. Jesus is waiting for you to open the door to him and say, I've had enough. I've had enough. I don't want to live like this anymore. Come and be in my life. Give me the strength I need to live life your way. Only God can work on us from the inside. It's no good saying, I will overcome it. God will overcome it. So trying some of these spiritual disciplines, even if we don't feel like it to start with, will open that door to transforming our lives. 
It's a gift of God. It's a means of of receiving his grace and it's a means of receiving his unmerited, undeserved favour to us. Richard Foster writes that the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so he can transform us. And he uses the image very helpfully of a farmer who sows the seeds and makes all the conditions right for growth, fertilizer, watering and all that. But actually, if God didn't bring the growth, nothing would change. It's God who is the key of all this. And so it is, says Foster, with the spiritual disciplines. They're God's way of getting us into the ground where he can be at work in us. And by the way, if the word discipline is a bit off-putting for some of you, it sounds a bit like punishment, then what if we just change one letter of that word from discipline to discipling and put a G on the end instead of an E and look upon it as journeying with Jesus, learning from him, walking with him. But we just we do still have to decide to do that walk with him. It's no good going off in the opposite direction or standing still while he continues on his way. So discipline or discipling, it's still a choice for us. So, so far we've looked at some of the reasons why we might not be hungry and what we can do about them. Now let's offer an answer to the question I raised at the beginning about what's in it for me if I give these practices a go. Now, I am not trying to guilt trip you into adding to your massive, no doubt, ought to do list. But I'm trying to encourage you to see that the outcome of trying some of these practices is to deepen our relationship with God and our intimacy with him. That's what's in it for you. That's what's in it for me and us. Because if that happens, then so much which might seem like an effort at the moment will become ever so much easier. We'll find that our prayer lives improve, our relationship with God will be deeper, so we'll want to share his blessings with others. We won't feel so scared about sharing our faith, telling our story. We won't feel like we better not invite somebody to church because they might not like it and sort of second guess what they'll think about it. All of that will just come in from God inside and it will just build up, bubble up in us and we won't have to worry about it. But we won't know if that's true unless we give it a try. And can I say these practices are not just for the super spiritual types. You might be sitting there going, that's all right for everybody else, that's all right for her with a dog collar on. Uh-uh. We can all give it a go. And they're not dull and boring because joy is at the very heart of every single one of the things that Richard Foster suggests in this book. And freedom Freedom from things that tie us down and hold us back. And they're not tricky, by the way, and they don't need a deep understanding of the Bible. doesn't matter whether you're not a Christian, newly a Christian, or been one for donkey's years. There's something in it for everybody. Anyone can take part, and beginners are extremely welcome. And one of the amazing outcomes of deciding to try these disciplines is that even if you're not hungry to start with, then hunger develops as you continue. The more you eat, the more you want. Your appetite is never fulfilled. Now, shortly after we discuss this as a preaching team, this series, uh, that very wise woman, 
Liz Ricketts, wherever she is. I don't know if she's here. Oh, she's there. Embarrassing you now, Liz. Uh, But she sent an email, not a letter, by the way, Liz. Uh, And she said this, and I found it really helpful. So I thought I'd share it with you, with Liz's permission. Um, She wrote this. I'd been thinking that we needed to be hungry for God before we would want to discipline ourselves in this way. But reading Foster, he seems to be saying that the disciplines put us in a place where God can bless us and enable us to grow. And here's the thing. So it might start out as a thing of will, our will, but it will turn into a place of blessing. Oh, that was really profound. Thanks, Liz. And so she suggested, and I totally agree, that it might be at this point in time okay to be one step back, not hungry for God, but wanting to be hungry for God. And it could be that trying one or more of these disciplines can move us on and put us where God can bless us. So wherever you are, whether you're not hungry, whether you uh, want to be hungry, or whether you're already feasting, I want you to know there's something on the table for all of you. God's grace is for all. And what better thing could be in it for us than that? So as I draw towards the finish, I'm just going to give you some simple ideas now on how you can stir up your hunger to grow. Firstly, and ever so easily, you can pray. You can ask God to make you hungrier. It's something as simple as saying every morning, Dear Lord, give me a fresh hunger and thirst for you. Amen. Not so very tough, is it? You might just want to say that in your mind. We're going to pray it together at the end, when I finish at the end. Dear Lord, give me a fresh hunger and thirst for you. Ask him to make you hungry. He will, I promise. You can also repent of any unconfessed sin. If you've got your focus on wrong things, turn away from them and turn back to God. Stop eating junk food and feed on good spiritual food. So that will make you hungrier when you're not filling yourself up with things that are rubbish. Thirdly, you might say to yourself, I'll taste and see. Try some of the ideas in the coming weeks. You won't like all of them because we all have different personalities. But try some of them and see which ones you find helpful and keep on doing them. Fourthly, hang around hungry people. (laughs) Feed off their ideas and their, enc- and their encouragement. Don't do this alone. We are in it together, after all. Let's hear stories and testimonies coming as we encourage one another. So please, uh, please come and uh, in celebration slot in the, t- in the service, say what you've been doing and how you're finding it. Hang around hungry people. And fourthly, uh, what the handout you were given on the way in. You might want to carry out the spiritual MOT. If you didn't get one on the way in because you snuck in through a different entrance, then pick one up on your way out. Uh, It's probably just about 45 minutes to an hour. Ask some really good searching questions uh, to, to help you be honest and realistic about your current spiritual state of affairs with your relationship with God. Don't want you to look at it now and read it now. Um, But feel free to talk about it and pray with somebody you trust uh, as you do it and see uh, where that takes you. But most of all, I want you to remember this. If 
I, if we, are serious about seeing lives transformed by Jesus, then it must start here with me, with you, with us, in other words. I need to see God's transforming work in my life and then I will see it in the lives of others. I'm just going to finish before we pray with a, uh, a lovely uh, piece that I read from a Christian, American Christian writer called Anne Voskamp. And she rephrases the Beatitudes. If you Google her and Beatitudes, you'll see the whole list. But I'm just going to give you one of them. This is what she wrote. Nowhere did Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger for a bigger house, who thirst for more ease, more acceptance, more status, more convenience, for they will be satisfied. He just quietly said, Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness and justice, who are starved for generous helpings of grace and truth and love, for they will be satisfied. They will be fed the best things till they are deeply fulfilled. Isn't that wonderful? We will be fed, when we are hungry, we'll be fed the best things till we are deeply fulfilled. So the words of a short prayer are going to come up on the screen now and I would love if we just pray that together to start us off as we journey over the next six to eight weeks, whatever it is, and see where we get to at the end of it. So let's pray. Dear Lord, whether I'm hungry or not, please give me a fresh hunger and thirst for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claire. I don't know.